This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Matt, our card for this week is a guy named Len Dykstra. Len. Len Dykstra. On the card, he is listed as Len Dykstra, number 655. Is Len, you know, better known to most people as Lenny Dykstra. This reminds me of when when the music artist, who was formerly known as John Cougar Mellencamp, dropped the Cougar and... Well, he had the cougar added to his name, and then he stopped having the cougar added to his name, and everyone was like, wait a minute, you're not John, you're John Cougar. Yeah, so I think he, at first he was Johnny Cougar, then John Cougar Mellencamp, then John Mellencamp. Well, this is uh, Leonard Dykstra, but on this card he is Len. 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 And looks like from the picture here that he is watching... A long fly ball fly into the gap. Yeah, this is this is card six fifty five. I'm pulling this up on the uh, 1988 tops jumbotron, and yeah, it does look like he's just finished putting one into right center, and he's he's thinking three bases. This is a speedy base runner, steals a lot of bases, lots of extra bases uh, on his hits. So. Yeah, that's just how it off in his pony shoes Mm. and he's taken off looking for extra bases. So with Lenny Dykstra, there's a I think the story is going to be maybe in in three parts here. We have this guy with a reputation known as Nails, tough, gritty player. And we'll talk a little bit about his reputation and his career. Then we're going to talk about his his rise in the business world and subsequent fall. And then we have, you know, spoiler alert, we have some breaking news. Oh my goodness, breaking breaking news. Breaking Lenny Dykstra news. So he's known as Nails, as in tough as Nails. People also called him Dude. And (laughs) that was partially because he was a Southern California guy and he used the term Dude in every sentence and rarely was a sentence said without him saying Dude. So people just started calling him Dude. Lenny's reputation as a player and as a person are slightly different. But, you know, later in his career, Mitch Williams said, I wouldn't call the Dude over to help me put together a jigsaw puzzle, but the guy was born to play baseball. Yeah, I believe that's what you call in the business, David, a backhanded compliment. Yeah, and for, especially from Mitch Williams, known as Wild Thing himself. <laughs> not <laughs> no, exactly a scholar. Not not known for his scholarly pursuits. Well, I mean, I when I think of Lenny Dykstra, so I, you know, the 86 Mets, you know, I was a National League guy, so the 86 Mets, I liked that team. I always, I liked watching Lenny Dykstra play baseball. My image of him, if, if someone were to ask what it like, I would imagine in 1986, him with a uniform that was filthy from sliding for catches, from sliding head first into second, third, home, whatever. And then a filthy face full of like, just spit from chewing tobacco, just spitting all the time with just like both cheeks full and no teeth. And then the necklace, he always had a, he had this necklace that's visible on the card as well. So yeah, just a a big, 
big personality, like just a a unique uh, personality in baseball, I thought. Yes, definitely that. And I think there's a lot of pictures where he has his mouth open, either yelling yeah. at people or yeah. chewing tobacco. Even in this one, he's got a little bit of a mouth agape look oh. as he's watching his fly ball. Yeah. And he grew up in Santa Ana, California. So Southern California guy, almost on right on point with what you're saying, this kind of filthy <laughs> guy you know, and gritty guy gritty for yeah, fun yeah. for fun he would as a kid they would spray people at disneyland with a fire extinguisher that, oh, oh I, this podcast you know is going to start with us talking about i think both of us enjoying lenny dykstra as a player yeah and at some point this is going to turn because lenny dykstra as a human is less desirable yeah, there's there's some, if, you know, I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but we've got some really like antisocial, objectionable, and misanthropic behavior coming up. So buckle up, everybody. As we do here, we like to go to you know the fun fact at the bottom of the back of the card. In this case, it's it's about Lenny getting signed by the Mets. He was a twelfth round draft selection by the Mets in 1981, signed by Scout Myron Pines. Myron Pines is a good name. Yeah. That's a good Scout name. I tried <laughs> to look to find out what Myron Pines was doing, but I, I didn't find much, but I did find a good quote from Myron about Lenny. And he said, it's the old story. The little guy has to prove he can play while the bigger guy has to prove that he can't. Mm. And with Lenny, he had an outsized personality, which continues to this day as he walked into his Mets tryout in 1981 an employee of the Mets asked if he was a bat boy because he was that little and <laughs> wiry and he said I'm Lenny Dykstra and I'm the best player you're going to see today so had an outsized personality had a you know strong view of of his own self-worth and that led to some pretty impressive stats in the minor leagues. He moved up pretty quickly in the, through the minors over the course of a couple seasons in which, Matt, you know from previous episodes that I am a sucker for a guy with a ton of stolen bases. Yep. And in looking at the back of this card, there is a number on here. In 1983, he stole 105 bases in oh single A ball. 105 wow. bases in 136 games. And, and he also hit 358. He, you know, just destruction. I mean, that's just tearing up the league and a hundred, a hundred walks. And yes. so he is on, on base all the time. That's an incredible season right there. Yes. Had a great season in a ball moves up in 84 to double a in Jackson, Mississippi. That looks like it where he was still living in 88 when this card came out. And then in by 1985 gets called up to the majors. And his first major league hit was a home run in his second at bat. Mm. That was the only home run he hit that season. <laughs> so, so his first at bat or yeah, second at bat of the season, he hits a home run. First major league hit. He didn't have a ton of home runs in his in his early career, but he had a lot of memorable ones. Matt, as you said, he was on the '86 Mets, and that's where a lot of probably his the memorable that in his later Phillies career are a lot of his memorable moments of, of his career. Those those 1986 Mets, 
won 108 games. They weren't really challenged at all for the division title. Lenny had 31 steals, hit 295, 27 doubles, but he only started 100 games because he was splitting time with Mookie Wilson. So the Mets get to the playoffs in 86, and that's where Lenny's time to shine was the 86 playoffs and the 86 World Series. He, as I said before, he you know didn't have a ton of home runs. That season, he only had eight home runs during the regular season in 86, but he hit some memorable homers in the playoffs and the World Series, including a walk-off two-run home run in Game 3 of the NLCS. And then in Game 6 of the NLCS, the Mets were losing 3 to nothing. Lenny hit a, a leadoff pinch hit triple in the ninth inning, scores a run, and the Mets tie the game in the ninth inning. And it goes to 16 innings, That one of the most memorable games in history, but definitely a, a memorable game in 1986. Lenny gets an RBI as the Mets score three in the 16th to go up seven to four, and that ended up being the decisive run of that, of that game. The Mets win seven to six and win the series to go on to the World Series. The 1986 World Series has the Red Sox memorably against the New York Mets. The series goes to seven games, and Lenny had some big moments in those in those seven games, including he led off game three with a home run at, at Fenway Park off of Oil Can Boyd, and we will definitely come back to Oil Can later on and this incident later on in our breaking news section. This home run in a big first inning led to a 7-1 to one Mets win. He hit another home run the next day in Game 4 in another Mets win. And he was one of only six Mets to play in all seven games of that World Series, which the Mets ended up winning in, in seven games. He hit 296, two home runs, three RBIs, and four runs scored. So he had three home runs in the, in the playoffs in 1986, but he only had eight during the regular season. Interestingly, he also got some MVP votes in 1986. So he's... Mm kind of building a reputation even though he was not a not a starter and in a platoon with with Mookie Wilson that year. So at what point did he at what point did they end the platoon? So he had such a good season, but did did that end up resolving after the 86 season? That's a good question, Matt. That actually I think ends up leading to Dykstra's eventual departure from the Mets. He in 87 on the back of this card as you'll see Comparing his 86, he actually played in more games in 86 than he did in 87, and he still had the same number of at-bats. He didn't ever have 500 at-bats with the Mets, and he was annoyed with that platoon situation. So 87 is like a pretty good Lenny Dykstra year. 10 home runs, 37 doubles, 27 stolen bases. He hits 285. Pretty good year for Lenny. More doubles, so a little bit more power and more home runs. He doesn't end up really getting a place in the starting lineup with the Mets and, again, has about the same number of at-bats still being moved around in the outfield, and he ends up traded in 1989 to the Phillies. It's not a great year for him. 1990, he comes back 30 pounds heavier. <laughs> so as you look at this card, he's 5'10", 160, He's a scrappy little guy, and as the the scout said earlier, he he was little Lenny Dykstra. He came back closer to 200 pounds in 1990 and goes on to have the 
at that point, best year of his career. He was asked about the weight gain, and he said that he had some really good vitamins. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. What we now know later is that he was named in the Mitchell Report that he was a known steroid user. But that comes out later. In 1990, he makes his first All-Star game. He's ninth in the MVP voting in 1990, which looking at this scrappy little guy and then looking at the stats that he put up that year, he led the league in hits. He led the league in on-base percentage, still stealing a lot of bases, and hit 325. We know that maybe that was the result of steroids, but at the time it was a really impressive, really impressive out-of-nowhere season. In 1991, he ends up only playing 63 games. He was involved in a drunk driving accident in which the catcher from the Phillies, Darren Dalton, was injured. So this is early May, and he was leaving John Cruck's bachelor party. Mm. This is, I think, the second John Cruck reference of the 1988 Tops podcast series. He was also <laughs> traded along with Randy Reddy in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. Well, he had a raucous bachelor party that led to Lenny Dykstra getting in a car and driving and nearly killing himself and and Darren Dalton. I just want to remind listeners that um, ride-sharing like and services like Uber and Lyft, etc., didn't exist in 1991. And so... Drunk driving by athletes was really typical. <laughs> and, well, and we'll learn later in Lenny's story that he is no longer welcome with some of those ride-sharing entities. Oh, no. Bad, bad passenger rating. Yes. Lenny Dykstra. Uh, that is putting it lightly. <laughs> So Lenny suffered broken ribs, a broken collarbone, and a broken cheekbone, and Dalton had similar injuries. Dykstra missed two months of the season and then was injured again in August of 1991 after he ran into the outfield wall and broke his collarbone. A second time. He broke his collarbone twice in 1991. Injuries continued for him in 1992, and then in 93 is his kind of second big season. He comes back second in MVP voting in 1993. The Phillies team makes it to the World Series. Lenny played in 161 games, which was the most of his career, and he only missed one game that season. So after many injury-plagued seasons and platoon seasons, he finally had a, a full season. He hits 305, 19 home runs, still running 37 stolen bases and 66 RBIs. All of those were career highs for him. He also led the National League in hits, runs, and walks in 1993. What we later learn is that Lenny claimed that he hired a team of private investigators to dig up dirt on umpires, and he used that to leverage a more favorable strike zone. Oh, jeez. And that was the season that he led the league in walks. His previous, he, he walked 129 times. His previous high was 89 Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure, David, how how best to express this. I feel like I mean we've we've joked about criminal behavior, illicit behavior by players before, but here we have like we have someone admitting to a criminal kind of conspiracy, but 
not necessarily for like gambling purposes, but just so he can get a better strike zone, so he gets better athletic performance, right? So is there is this so that he can make millions of dollars on you know f- you know through gambling or something else? Is, is it really just so that he has better stats? Well, Matt, it's interesting because Lenny was also a known gambler. But in all of the many negative Lenny Dykstra articles I've read, I haven't read any about him betting on his own games. So I don't, mm. I don't know if it was that. But I will say that after the 1993 season, he was rewarded with a four-year, $25 million contract extension. Wow. And one of the more shocking things that I read was that at one point he was the fourth highest paid player in the National League. For 94 and 95, so we have this image of Lenny Dykstra as hard-nosed, run-into-a-wall kind of guy. And at one point, he was one of the highest-paid players in the National League. Um, That is, uh, I'll tell you what, we see a lot now with, you know, Moneyball and other kind of statistics, ways to try to play the game within the game to improve your performance. And threatening threatening umpires with you know you know potentially blackmail or other things as the way to improve your stats is pretty innovative i've got to say it's if if i want to put it as as kindly as possible yes wow. and i don't you know i there's other than looking at the numbers and seeing this real outlier number for him in 1993 i suppose that that maybe shows that it was worth something. Lenny says a lot of things and <laughs> makes a lot of claims. So I can't speak to the truth of this, but looking at his numbers, he walked a ridiculous number of times that season and was on base a lot. In 93, he had an, another impressive World Series, In a, this time in a losing effort for the Phillies. He hit four home runs in that World Series in six games. And hit 348, also stole four bases. Really was a great player in big games. And that, I think, is, along with his Nails reputation, he also had a reputation for being a real clutch player. And just for a quick comparison, during the regular season, he played almost 1,300 games. And he hit a home run every 56 at-bats. He also hit 285 for his career. In 32 playoff games, he hit a home run every 11 at-bats. Oh, wow. And hit 321. Wow. He was pretty much the definition of a, a clutch player in in the playoffs, once on a winning team, the Mets, and once on a losing team, the Phillies, in, in 93. Shifting gears into the next phase of Lenny Dykstra's life, I remember reading an article in the early 2000s about Lenny Dykstra's very successful chain of car washes in Southern California. (laughs) And I remember thinking, I don't know, that seems about right. Like, (laughs) so at some point during his career, Lenny started a chain of car washes in Southern California. He was able to make some money at this and also kind of parlayed this money-making into a career as a financial analyst. (laughs) Really? Really? Uh, This is a guy who Mitch Williams said he wouldn't ask for Lenny's help 
in putting together a a puzzle. <laughs> but Lenny became a stock picker to the extent that Jim Cramer, Mad Money's Jim Cramer, called Lenny one of the great ones and said that he trusted Lenny's stock picking advice. That now Jim Cramer from Mad yes, from Mad Money CNBC uh, notoriously from Arrested Development would call the Bluth Company a don't buy, and that was his 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 strong endorsement. Jim Cramer also a Philadelphia guy, and so I'm wondering if maybe he had the same investigators digging up stuff on Jim Cramer because that's about the stupidest thing I've ever <laughs> ever heard. Of like, I mean, I haven't paid attention to this in some time. I know that I used to watch Cramer. I used to watch. Yeah, CNBC during the 2000, during the dot-com bubble, and in 2008. It's a a good channel to watch when there's financial turmoil because they're always very emotional about everything. But it's saying here, so I'm just going to quote from this article, which was written by Randall Lane uh, from the Daily Beast. Jim Cramer single-handedly created the concept of Dykstra as financial genius, known mostly for his willingness to crash his body into walls or his cars into trees, nicknamed Nails, the former New York Met and Philadelphia Philly became an investment columnist for the street.com in 2005 after sending Kramer an unsolicited email. And so here's where I feel like Kramer as a sports fan was blinded a bit, you know, bringing on Dykstra for four years to make stock pits. David, how does this, how does this turn out bringing, bringing Lenny Dykstra, the, the tough as nails baseball player in as a financial analyst? Well, Matt, you, this is, you, <laughs> you sh- should not be surprised to learn it did not end well. <laughs> in 2008, right around this time, almost, you know, just really perfect timing here. In 2008, there's a New Yorker article titled, Nails Never Fails. And oh, it dear. talks to Lenny about, you know, his financial success. He's worth $58 million in 2008. He's starting what he calls the world's best magazine and it's going to be called the players club and this is going to be a life a lifestyle magazine for professional athletes a guide for investment money management he was going to have keith hernandez of seinfeld fame as a food critic he was going to have kyle corver as a video game critic it was you know according to pete incavilia this ah uh, our second Pete Incavilia reference. Second of many Pete Incavilia references. If, as you'll remember, there's a song by our friends at White Denim called Incavilia. Uh, Pete Incavilia said, Lenny's idea is the most brilliant, best idea I've ever heard in my life. It's mind-boggling. So Lenny's going to make this magazine. He got Wayne Gretzky on board. He also bought Wayne Gretzky's $18 million house. And this is in 2007, 2008 time period. Yes. He makes a, he made a, a, an eight figure real estate investment in 2008. This is, this is going to end great. Yes. The players club magazine had a launch party. They spent $600,000. Donald Trump was invited. Donald Jr. Was there. Donald Jr. Was there. Of course. Gretzky was on the board of the magazine. They ended up publishing three editions 
And a couple months later, the economy collapsed in late 2008. Lenny's wife filed for divorce. He later filed for bankruptcy, claiming he was $31 million in debt. And we will link to it in the show notes. There is a really great Daily Show clip with Jon Stewart talking about, one, how much he loved Lenny Dykstra as a player. Something we didn't talk about before is his name was Nails, but there was also a lot of these guys had really ridiculous posters in the mid-80s, including this poster of Lenny Dykstra that just said nails across it and included him seemingly oiled up, shirtless, <laughs> standing on a, a bunch of nails. Yeah, it, it was a, a favorite of Jon Stewart's, but I encourage people to watch that Daily Show where Jon both rips into the, the wisdom of investing in Lenny Dykstra-supported industries. So in 2009, he's bankrupt. He was banned from his properties that were being foreclosed on because they were vandalized. He, he wanted to flip the Gretzky house. He, he really thought that he was going to turn this. He was going to be able to sell this $18 million house to somebody for so much more money. He was going to sell it to Tiger Woods. or He, he really thought he was going to be able to sell it to somebody even wealthier than Wayne Gretzky. Didn't turn out, as you'll recall, the... The real estate market crashed in 2008, 2009. The Gretzky house was basically destroyed through water damage, torn up floors, missing toilets. And this also led to some lawsuits and eventual arrest. Lenny's admitted to both steroid use, but also a long Vicodin opioid addiction. And that some of his problems can be seen through that lens. And so I'm, I'm going to try to be sympathetic to, to Lenny in in that. He clearly had, had, and I think still has, a problem. And some of his more recent statements are unhinged. By 2009, he's battling 24 lawsuits, including lawsuits filed against him by his family members. He supposedly borrowed $23,000 from his mother to fuel up a private jet to fly from Cleveland back home. And his, his family really seems to have turned on him. He seems to have cheated them out of some money as well, it was alleged. He also has a, a long string of criminal activity. And this goes back even prior to this 2008. There's a 1999 incident where he was accused of sexual harassment of a, an employee at one of his car washes. There are multiple criminal charges against him, including indecent exposure Grand theft auto, bankruptcy fraud, drug possession, and also sexual assault of a housekeeper. This led to a 2012 conviction, actually two convictions, one federal and one state, and he served time concurrently on, on those convictions, one for grand theft auto and providing false financial information, as well as a federal bankruptcy fraud, concealment of assets, and money laundering. So he served his time and gets out of jail in 2013. Since that point, there have been multiple theft, hotel destruction allegations. And to your previous point, Lenny has stopped driving himself around, but he was arrested in 2018 on charges that he threatened to kill an Uber driver while he was in possession of cocaine and ecstasy. So uh, so we have ride sharing, ride sharing, you know, being banned from ride sharing and also cocaine question mark boxes checked for this episode. 
Yes. I'm, I'm sorry that we didn't do the cocaine question mark klaxon before. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I think the, the klaxon has been really busy on this show. There's a lot here. There is. There is a lot here. Yes. And Matt, I spent a lot of time sifting through Lenny Dykstra information, as you do. And <laughs> part of the reason why, moving on to the, I think, the final part of this pod the reason why i brought lenny dykstra up to you because i said there's some breaking lenny dykstra news and lenny dykstra ron darling news ron darling former pitcher for those same 86 mets in 2019 ron darling wrote a book called 108 stitches in it he alleges that lenny was in the on deck circle in game three of the 86 world series and he was shouting every imaginable and unimaginable insult and expletive in Oil Can Boyd's direction. He said it was foul, racist, hateful, and hurtful stuff that he was shouting at Oil Can Boyd. He also claimed that Lenny treated everybody like garbage and was generally a terrible human being. In that same year, Lenny files a defamation lawsuit against Ron Darling. And he said that this book branded him as a racist and was hurting him financially and, you know, branded him for the world as a racist. So, David, as someone who has been to law school, uh, how would you uh, address the uh, claims made by the parties here? I, Matt, I would address them the same way that the judge addressed them, which this is this is why I brought this to your attention. The The judge in this case basically said that Lenny had such a bad reputation that he could not be defamed <laughs> i yeah it is so, physically impossible to defame his character because his character is already so bad yes is uh, that is that's so beautiful that's so beautiful so that was so the the the, the legal process here defamation lawsuit is filed Ron Darling files a motion to dismiss that lawsuit. In the motion to dismiss, he said that Lenny was the was a quote libel proof plaintiff, that his reputation is so bad that he simply cannot be defamed. Oh, it's so good. He said That's that this so is good. a convi convicted felon, a liar, a fraud, a drug abuser, cheat, and extortionist who has publicly bragged in his auto his own autobiography that he used steroids and blackmail to enhance his baseball performance. He also called him a sexual predator, a violent person, a homophobe, misogynist, and racist whose bigotry is undeniable. So pretty strong statements in Darling's motion to dismiss that the judge in the case just this past week completely agreed with. He grants the motion to dismiss. He references articles, some of which we'll link to in the show notes, that describe Lenny as racist, as a bigot, a homophobe, multiple references to Lenny loudly using racial slurs, including casual and public use of the N-word. Just really not a great person, and he has already established, quote, his general bad reputation. I think that the final word on that was that he did not have a reputation that was capable of injury. Yeah, that's the libel-proof plaintiff, I feel like, would make a great uh, album name for some punk band. Yes. It's like, we are, we are so bad 
we are so bad that you can't even libel us. Or it could be bad company. Could a be. Bad company. Yeah, bad company record. I like um, that. I will probably just wrap this up by saying, you know, Lenny has called even on Oil Can Boyd and had Oil Can Boyd say, I know Lenny Dykstra. He's not a racist. I love Lenny. He got some other people to try to vouch for him, but the, the judge was not having it. And in recent days, I've been trying to use the 1988 Tops Twitter account to find different players who are on, who are active on Twitter. And the quality of 1988 Tops Twitter accounts and players on Twitter is wide ranging. And Lenny Dykstra's is vile and just mean. And I ended up almost immediately unfollowing it. He has made statements claiming that Ron Darling lied about having cancer. He's claimed that the owners of the Mets are trying to kill him. He is not well. And he also, in recent weeks, Dale Murphy, who was one of my favorite players as a kid, has kind of gone the other way in, in my estimation on, on Twitter from Lenny and has been pretty impressive in talking about protests and the Black Lives Matter movement and was tweeting about how his son was shot in the eye with a rubber bullet in a, in a demonstration. Lenny Dykstra said, F him and his loser kid. No children of Lenny Dykstra have had issues with police resulting from being part of an Antifa mob. We Dykstras have proper respect for the men in blue. So Lenny Dykstra, who is beyond defamation, who is, you know, he, he has had his own problems with the men in blue getting, getting arrested, now lying about a former teammate having cancer. Yeah, his, his Twitter makes me want to just quit. I checked out some of the Twitter as well, and I need to, I feel like I need to take a shower I just want to say for the record that this is a podcast that is anti-racist. And in reviewing, you know, so much of, you know, the player, the history, the words said, you can tell that some of the things that were going on in the 80s and some of the way that this behavior was just ignored by society was, was just wrong. It is, I think, important to... Go back and look at that, some of that behavior through these decades with a, with a new kind of lens. So I think we've, we've done some good work here, even if it feels very uncomfortable to have to be faced with some of this language. Yeah, and I, I think that in, if you watch Jon Stewart's take on Lenny, it goes back to the old adage, never meet your heroes. And, you know, Lenny... As a as a kid watching Lenny Dykstra, he played like an excited kid would play, just running running into walls, diving. Yeah, it is difficult to disconnect that from the person that he is, but he is, from everything I have read, not a good guy, even though as a child I thought he was a the peak of of an exciting player and a gritty player. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. So we spared the listener mailbag this week because we were dealing with some pretty ugly content uh, with Lenny Dykstra. But we do encourage you to contact us. You can find us on Twitter at Tops1988. 
You can also email us at 1988topspodcast at gmail.com. We would love your suggestions on which cards uh, you might want to hear us talk about. Uh, Or if you'd like to join us on the show, uh, we would love that as well. Please send those comments into the mailbag. And we look forward to seeing you next week. 